The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. I tell you what, the Matildas, they're like the Beatles in Perth at the moment. The locals over there say the hype, the fanfare and the interest is like something rarely seen in that city. Last night, Tony Gustafsson and his team, well, they upheld their end of the bargain with a 2-0 win in an Olympic qualifier against Iran. Gets down to the byline again, cuts it back. They're queuing up in the middle. Grant is there again. Carpenter! And the player we were just talking about, who sets the bar so high for the Matildas, opens the scoring. Catley's ball, teasing ball, and there it is. Sam Kerr. Who else? At home, back on the score sheet. It's the substitutes that make the game safe. 12 minutes from time. So there you go, the Matildas 2-0 over a run. Plenty happening in football in the A-leagues and the big leagues around the world. So naturally, we need to bring in the big guns to make sense of it all. Welcome to you, Andy Harper. We got you, Andy. We do. We've got you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good day. How are you? Uh, thanks for getting up a little bit early over there in Perth for us, mate. We appreciate it. So Ellie Carpenter, 19th minute, Sam Kerr, 78th minute. How did you assess it uh, in the experts' chair? Well, it was a frustrating game for a large part. Uh, team was rusty. There was a there was a thrown together set of uh, players and positions. Um, you know, because of jet lag and, and the lack of time to arrive, etc. And then you can take a liberty like that when you're expected to win and, and that's what Australia uh, were able to do last night. Uh, clearly a superior football operation. Um, but it was just a bit frustrating at times how difficult Iran made it. Uh, and how difficult we made it for ourselves. But in the end, um, a couple of moments of quality. And there were, there were, there were others besides your goals. The finishing wasn't great. But the two goals that we did score were very, very good. Yeah. So just on that front, I was going to ask you about this, and um, they made it hard at times. But were the alibis as such that it can be forgiven and, uh, and understood, or did you still want to see more? Oh, well, you always want to see more. Um, you know, and this team has, has set new standards in the, in the eyes of the public. Uh, out of the World Cup, so there's enormous anticipation when they play now, um, and there's enormous expectation against these smaller countries uh, in Asia that they should be really just demolishing them on the scoreboard. Well, they demolished them on the field. Really, Iran fought really, really hard, uh, did everything they could. They had a couple of breakaway moments, but never really looked threatening. Um, but it does put this pressure on this team. It um, <clears throat> every time they roll out now, you know, people are expecting them to do the business and. Largely, they did it last night without scoring. It's just a little bit of frustration of the difficulties they had in, in getting some fluency going generally, but they'll be better for the run. Yeah, and just on the appetite for it, though, Andy, so HBF Park, they call it over there, yeah. I think, what, 20,000 yeah. crammed in in the end. So the, the, the interest and the appetite's there. Yeah, well, we're expecting a sellout. It was billed as a sellout. It was a little below them. There were some pockets of empty seats. It was 18,500. Still a fantastic crowd. I mean, guys, yeah. you're not going to hear me complaining about it, but um, there was a little bit of extra space. Either uh, people didn't turn up. I'd never understand that mentality, buying a ticket and not going. Um, but, you know, I'm, despite appearances, I'm not old enough to have experienced Beatlemania. But um, I, I, you watch the Matildas walk around the ground last night and Sam Kerr, when she breaks cover... Dead set, people are going weak at the knees. It's mm. remarkable. It's truly remarkable. She's um, she in particular, but the team have just they've they've found the sweet spot of the Australian sports community. They mm. really have. So 
we're sort of deliberating over breakfast and, and we live uh, in and around the team and, and follow it closely. And we're all trying to trace, like, where has this come from? Uh, and more importantly, I guess, where's it going to go? It's, it's huge fun at the moment. Yeah. How many minutes did she play, Sam? I was a bit shocked to learn uh, in the in the lead-up that that calf was still bothering her out of the World Cup. Well, this is a now, now we're getting serious, you know. Um, for, for the sake of the Matildas and Chelsea, her club, you know, this situation mm. needs to needs to be managed. And I, I'd be horrified at the thought at the at the arduous nature of the last preparation campaign. Remembering we didn't have to qualify for the World Cup, we just had to prepare for it. And Sam Kerr was flying to all corners of the globe, played more minutes than any other player in this preparation phase for the World Cup. Uh, and then, lo and behold, when the World Cup comes, she can't play, or basically can't play. She was she was limited to just a few moments, and of course, delivering that quite remarkable, unbelievable goal. Yeah. Um, was all that travel necessary? Has this comp- is, these are questions I leave hanging now, and they're hanging in my mind. Um, has that two and a half year process, or whatever it was, of pumping out travel and games for to- a tournament we're already in? going to have a, a negative long-term impact on Sam. Uh, I think I speak on behalf of most people. We hope not. And you reckon there'd be, not for the first time this happens, um, you know, men's and women's, but the conversations between her club and her country, they'd be they'd be on, um, you know, more volatile grounds you would anticipate? You'd imagine. You'd imagine. I mean, she's a, she's a top asset, uh, top striker in the world. You know, Chelsea, they've got serious intent to win the WSL in England and, and, and crack it for a European Champions League. Sam Kerr is going to be central to that. Um, the tensions, if they do exist, or there's certainly potential for them between club and national body, uh, this tug of war over the use of these players. And we can only assume that um, that both parties work through this in a cooperative sense. I think whilst we assume that, of course, we also have to be realistic and think, you know, there's probably going to be different views from the different parties on what's reasonable and what should happen. And it's how both manage that. For the betterment of this star, this real superstar in San Kerr. Iran, did they go to ground a bit easy for your liking, uh, Andy? I, was, I watched Twitter absolutely blow up last night oh, yeah. at, uh, at the amount of times yeah. they hit the turf. What would you make of it? Well, totally, completely and utterly. It was, it was ridiculous. Um... um but and there's no but it was terrible. A couple of things to just ruminate on, however, you know, Iran and certainly their national women's football team don't see themselves as operating in the sport and entertainment industry, which is how we view sport increasingly mm. as a commodified product in Western sophisticated sports markets. Um, they're not in, they're not in that space, mate. This is the football for them is not a matter of selling tickets. God, women aren't even allowed still to go to stadiums in in Iran. This group of players, immersed in the culture and love of football, because that's what Iran does, this is their chance to hold on for grim death against one of the world's best teams. Uh, and they were doing it all, all, every trick in the book. So the, the, the point is they don't view football and sport necessarily the, the way that we do in these commercialised marketplaces. And secondly, a lot of people have said, and you will have heard the testimony, you might have even expressed it yourself, Sam. I appreciate it too. I can It resonates with me, but a lot of people find watching women's football a lot more interesting than men's football because, quote-unquote, the women don't dive like the blokes do. Yeah. We know it's a huge problem in men's football, but, but what I say to people is just, just, just watch 
and be careful because as the stakes in women's football rise, and we started seeing it in this World Cup, that these <coughs> histrionics, uh, delay tactics, uh, this theatre, quote-unquote, this theatre is going to become an increasing part of women's football too. It's inevitable, unfortunately. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you as well about... We've spoken about this before, Andy, because Tony Gustafsson, the manager, has raised it before. Having said that, so has Graham Arnold for the Socceroos. I'm speaking about the demand for funding that that Tony made in the pre-match. Now, this time he made the demand with uh, the background being, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the jungle drums obviously are beating around a potential move from him to the US um, and some interest maybe out of that national team as well. So I'm not sure if threat is too strong a word, but are we to take the demands for that a little bit more seriously, if that's possible, than what we normally would, given he's got interest from elsewhere? Well, we have to do both. I mean, the, 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 the national teams and, and Tony could have been a lot more public about this a lot longer ago about the funding generally for football in this country. Um, and Graham Arnold's been leading that charge from a national coach's viewpoint, and, mm. and most people get it and they support it. Just on, on the Gustafsson one, firstly, it seems to me, from my vantage point, you talk about him jumping into the American job if it's open for him, is real. How close he is, we've got no idea. But, but this, is not, this is not just a smokescreen. Um, so that's an issue that they're all trying to work with. But I will say um, that the World Cup campaign for the Matildas, I think by any measure, was the best funded program Australian football's ever enjoyed. Mm. And mm. I think we just leave it at that. Okay. Uh, let's change tack to domestic matters. So the A-League continues in the men round two this weekend. What do we got here? An Australia Cup final uh, replay at, at Suncorp tonight. So Raw and Sydney FC. Best story of the weekend. Not because of the rematch. To exact some revenge, but best story of the weekend, Sam, because Brisbane are moving back to Suncorp. It's their first game back at Suncorp Stadium, which is where I believe they always should have played. Um, very expensive venue, reasons why they left, etc., etc., etc. But it just has caused carnage the last few years of Brisbane Raw moving out of the heart of Brisbane. Um, and thankfully, it seems the leadership has found a way to make a return to Suncorp something they want to do. And I, I can't wait. I hope they get a bounce in the crowd, but even if they don't, uh, I don't think they'll ever get a bounce in the crowd unless they nail themselves to the heartbeat of Brisbane, which is Suncorp Stadium, and work to the billy to, 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 to turn it back into the way it was. <clears throat> always been a very expensive venue for football, always. But I do recall, uh, and I lived it because we were there for most home games, You know, when Brisbane Raw were flying under Ange Postacoglu, yeah. still... Only with the you know average crowds of you know say twelve to thirteen thousand, Suncorp was still thumping, and there was a lot of empty seats, but the atmosphere was still great. And yep. of course, we'll never forget the grand finals they hosted. So that's the target for me: the leadership to find a way to to make it their home, unequivocally their home, because I think once they've nailed that down and reset in people's minds that this is where Brisbane Royal are at, this is the club we're at then I think they can seriously start to regrow themselves. You mentioned Ange. I want to circle back to him in a moment. Just quickly, I want to take you to primetime Saturday night, tomorrow night, Western Sydney Wanderers, Western United. Gee, I'll tell you what, Western United turned a few heads uh, last week, knocking off Melbourne City 2-1. And uh, it was a bit of a frustrating, uh, frustrating um, first up showing from uh, Marco Rodan's Wanderers as well. But he's got John Aloisi to contend with uh, tomorrow night. 
yeah, two good coaches. And Johnny Aloisi has done a great job. Great result for Western last week. Um, there's a bit more positivity bubbling around that place as mm. well with a, with, a, with a move to a more permanent base. And then, again, generally we still wait with our fingers tapping on the desk uh, for the announcement about the actual stadium itself, which was, which was their expansion promise. Um, but if we can manage to park that and just look at what Aloisi is doing with the team, yeah, very exciting. And, and the Wanderers looked good last week within a frustrating set of circumstances, and they'll be better for that run. I think it'll be a ripping game. I'm glad it's uh, on, on Saturday night in the prime time, and, and hope, hopefully a lot of people will tune in to watch it because I'm sure it'll be a great game. Look, there's some big games uh, this weekend, if you like world football. The El Clasico's on, the Manchester Derby is on, but you mentioned Ange Postacoglu, who is breaking records for rookie coaches in the Premiership, Andy. I think the Spurs have got Crystal Palace uh, tomorrow, 6am. They're on top of the league. They're undefeated. I mean, even in your wildest dreams, and you're the most optimistic Ange supporter out there, would you have had this unfolding? Um. Or yes, maybe. <laughs> Well, I know to say yes would sound ridiculous. I mean, I don't think I expected him to be top. No, <laughs> so I can answer that point differently. But not far off, and, and I say that because everywhere he's gone, literally everywhere he's gone, he's the only coach. Even though he says we're not there yet, we've still got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Um, he's the only coach that doesn't have as his opening salvo to the new fans and to the buying media pack. You need to give me time. Because he gets in and changes it almost overnight. We saw it. We're in Perth now. Last time I was in Perth was the Spurs pre-season trip against West Ham. It was his first game uh, with the team. And they lost that match against Spurs. But they totally dominated entries into the penalty area. It was their first game. He'd had a series of team meetings and whatever training, a couple of days training in London before they came here for two days training. His impact is immediate. Yeah. Okay, so the points accumulation... Is, is, uh, is from the players under his guise. Um, and so now we just hope they can just build and build and build because what a thrill it would be for him uh, and his support network. We're going to stand and finish those Champions League places and that's that big position on today. Yeah, it's been a fascinating story to watch and hopefully only gets better from here. So Andy Harper doing some fine work across Network 10. Robbie Thompson, Grace Gill alongside him, of course, and they will be back with us this Sunday for the Matildas in the Philippines. It's a big one. It's at Optus Stadium, live from 5.30 Eastern on 10 Bold, 6 o'clock on 10, 10 Play Paramount Plus. And then next Wednesday, the third and final Olympic qualifier, the Matildas up against Chinese Taipei back at HBF Park, live from 9 o'clock Eastern on 10, 10 Play and Paramount+. Plus. Thanks for taking the time out of your day, Andy, and uh, enjoy it over there in Perth. Good on you, Sam. Thanks, mate.